Thank you for joining us on the Access Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Pastor Kurt Ames. I want to read to you a text out of 1 Kings chapter 19. And this is where Elijah, or excuse me, Elisha is actually called by God into his destiny. And before we read this text, I want to tell you a few things about a guy named Elijah. Um, Elijah was an incredible man. Uh, Elijah had a, an amazing single-minded focus and commitment on God's call to his life that is absolutely incredible, and it should challenge every single one of us. Uh, but God used Elijah in miraculous ways that completely boggle our minds, my mind, but the New Testament calls Elijah a man that was ordinary and no different than we are, uh, which is interesting. And I think that should give all of us hope tonight, uh, hope that God can still and does still use the ordinary to do extraordinary things. You know what I'm saying, you guys? That should give every single one of us hope because God is still today doing extraordinary things through his ordinary people. And someone here tonight, I, I believe, needed to just hear that, and maybe that was the only thing you needed to hear all night, but I'm gonna keep going anyway. Uh, Elijah was one of the most famous and dramatic of Israel's Old Testament prophets. He actually predicted the beginning and the end of a three-year drought. God used him to restore a dead child to his mother. He represented God in a showdown with the priests of Baal and Asherah. And in the New Testament, at the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus showed his glory to, James, to Peter, James, and John, Elijah and Moses actually showed up and had a conversation with Jesus on that mountain hundreds of years after he was already gone, dead and gone. And, uh, man, that's one of those Bible moments. There's many Bible moments that I would love to be able to go back and just be able to witness. That is actually one of them. I wish I could Marty McFly it, you know, and get in the time machine and head back to the future and witness that. Uh, it was just an amazing deal. But Elijah was a really big deal. He was a big deal to God, and, and God used him in mighty, miraculous ways. And in chapter 19 of 1 Kings, Elijah is about to pass on the baton, his anointing, his ministry. How many of you know that this life, you probably heard it said this way, life is a marathon. I've said this before, life is not a marathon, life is a relay race. And we're about to see Elijah passing on his baton, his mantle, his anointing, and the calling of God on his life to a man that's younger than him named Elisha. And so we pick it up. In 1 Kings chapter 19, and we're gonna start in verse 19, we only have three short verses for you tonight, and then I'm just gonna preach. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Now, when that took place, that was symbolizing the passing of the baton. This is symbolizing I'm calling you and God is calling you to something more, to something greater in this lifetime than you could ever possibly fathom. And Elisha knew it, and this was his direct response. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and my mother goodbye, he said, and then I'll come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? In another translation, it says, think about what I've done to you. And I believe on his way back, he did think about what that cloak meant, what that mantle, what that anointing, what the passing of the baton meant for him. So Elisha left him, he went back, 
He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat. He gave it to the people. He had a party. He had a backyard barbecue with all his livestock. Used all the equipment to cook the meat and he gave it to the people and then they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and he became his servant. I believe that God gave me one specific word for every single one of you in this room tonight and it's simply this, burn, burn. I believe that God is calling every single one of us to burn up some bridges in our lives tonight. I believe that God is calling us to something more. I believe that God has so much more for us than we could possibly fathom, more for us in our future, and there are things in our past that are slowing us down and hindering us and tethering us to our past, and we're not experiencing what God wants for us right now and what he has planned for us in the future. We're gonna burn some things up tonight. Amen? Leads me to my first point. God is inviting all of us to experience more. God has more for you than you currently have. He wants you to thrive in your relationships. The whole 21-day challenge that we issued last week is all about having a better relationship with God. And when you have a better relationship with God through communicating with him through prayer and thankfulness and gratitudes, all these things, journaling, meditating, it will trickle down through you to your relationships around you. Does that make sense? When things are right with God, when, you, when your heart is connected to Jesus Christ, it just seems that every other relationship that you have just seems to work out a little bit better. Come on, somebody. He wants your relationships to thrive, but not only that, he wants your finances to thrive, and I know y'all are broke. Come on, somebody. But y'all, here's the thing. I know you're broke, but that's the time to start. That is actually the perfect time to start. When my wife and I started tithing, we were broke. We couldn't even pay rent. Went from $30,000 of, of debt to one year later, $30,000 surplus. And I believe in God's word. I believe God's word moves in power. I, I stand here as a firm believer that Jesus Christ and everything that he said will come to pass. And he said, given it'll be given unto you, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running all over will be poured into your lap. But some of you still don't believe in sowing and reaping, and it is a law that God put in to play in this earth and in our lifetimes. How many of you know that? but some of you still don't believe it. And I'm here to tell you, I'm here to urge you on, and this is the only place, this is the only thing, the only issue in the entire Bible, in the entire canon of Scripture, that God says, test me in this. He says, test me in this. Bring all your tithes and offerings into the storehouse and see if I don't open up the windows of heaven and pour you out such a blessing that you won't even be able to handle now you either stand on, there is no middle ground on this. You either stand on one side of the fence or the other on that. It's time to start standing on God's side because he wants you to thrive in your finances. Start now, young people. Start now and get ahead while you can because people who give get back. It's a proven scientific statistic as well. Absolutely incredible. He wants you to thrive in your relationships, your finances. He also wants you to thrive in your career. He wants you to thrive in your, in your studies. He wants you to thrive wherever you're at. If you're in college, he wants you to thrive in your grades. And how many of you know that when you do your work as if you're doing it for God himself, 
you do it with a little bit more cheerfulness, a little bit of a happier heart, maybe you smile a little bit more when you actually say, you know what, I'm not even working for you, dude. I'm working for God. That's my boss. And when you actually think that way, it changes the way your heart thinks and feels in your mind, and you come into work a little bit more cheerful and a little bit more joyful. And we talked about some of that last week, and it's interesting, the results of just somebody that is happy doing things unto the Lord. You're actually, you know what, this is a cool statistic. I'm gonna digress for a minute. Do you know that you're 40% more likely if you're just simply happy? If you have a cheerful heart and you are positive and you're happy to do whatever it is that God is calling you to do right now, wherever it is you're at right now and you do it with a happy heart, you're 40%, it's proven, 40% more likely to get a promotion at some point in the next two years over somebody that is negative, stressed out, and angry. Take that one. Put it in the bank. He wants your career to thrive, but also he wants you to thrive in your calling. He wants you to thrive in the purposes and plans that he has for your life. And we see this in the story of Elisha. Elisha was hit, and this is interesting too, because Elijah just comes walking along, and he takes his cloak, and he hits, and this is representing the mantle, the anointing, the passing of the baton. Again, he just takes his cloak, and he throws it on Elisha, and he just walks away. Didn't even say nothing. Just walked away from him. And when that mantle hit, when that cloak hit Elisha, God was inviting Elisha into a life of more, into something greater than the mediocrity that he was currently living in. He was getting a promotion. And it's interesting to me that the call and the promotion actually came while Elisha was plowing in the field. Don't miss this. In verse 19, it's very clear. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Listen, he was being a good steward of, what, of the job that God gave him, and he was just doing it. He was being a steady Eddie. He was doing it with a cheerful heart, I hope. He was doing it with integrity. He was out doing his job, and he was doing it well. And then all of a sudden, the call of God came while he was being faithful to what God had called him to do right now. Interesting that when you're faithful right where you are, with a good attitude, with a happy heart, God will reward that all day, every day, 24 hours a day, and twice on Sunday. And that's exactly what happened to Elisha. Now, how many of you know that the church, and every time that Jesus talked about the church in the Gospels, he talked about the church in militaristic terminology? which is why I love reading up on what Jesus has to say about the church. Here's something that Jesus said about the church. I will build my rock upon this, upon, my, upon this rock. I'll build my church. Jesus is building the church, and then he says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. How many of you know that when Jesus conquered death, hell, sin, all of it, he took back the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and he gave it to us, his disciples, and he says, you've got the ball back. You're now on offense. We are to be an advancing group of people. You know that? The church is supposed to be advancing. It is not supposed to be digressing. We are supposed to be growing, not shrinking. Jesus was very, very, very persistent in this fact. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. 
We, friends, are on offense. We are not playing defense. And in the parable of the talents, Jesus spoke the parable of the talents, and here's what he said. There was this guy who came along, a manager. He had three, three of his employees he came to, and he gave one of, the, one of his employees, he gave uh, five talents. What that represents, we'll just say that's five, uh, 5,000 gold coins, okay? It represented money. He gave them all a sum of money. So he came to the first guy, gave him five. He came to the second guy, gave him two talents, two bags of talents. And then he came to the third guy, and he gave him one. And he says, now I'm going away. It represents Jesus coming to planet Earth and then going away. And what he gave was talents, and every single one of them was to manage those talents well. And then he says, and one day, what happened is that five, the guy who got five actually turned it into, into 10. He doubled his investment. The guy that got two doubled his investment, became four. But the guy who got the one, bag, the, the one talent bag actually went and buried it in the ground and covered it up. The manager returns, representing the return of Jesus Christ. He's coming back one day, and we're all gonna stand and give an account. And this is what it represents. And when he came back, he comes up to the first servant, and he says, what did you do? He says, I, I turned my five into 10. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with little. I'm gonna give you a lot more now. God's inviting us to more. He wants to give you more. He comes to the guy with two talents who turned it into four. He said the same thing. What'd you do? He says, I turned mine into, my two into four. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Since you've been faithful with this little stuff that you got right now, I'm gonna give you a whole lot more and I'm gonna give it to you soon. And then he comes to the guy who had the one talent that buried it and, he's, and, the, and the guy speaks up. He says, I knew you to be a hard man, a hard man who actually reaps where he hasn't sown. And so I got afraid and what I did was, you know, I, I started playing defense. And so instead of advancing with what you gave me, I ended up burying it. So let me go bury that and he digs it up and he gives it back to his master, and his master said, you wicked, selfish, lazy servant. Take what he's got and give it to one of those guys. Give it to the guy that put, took his five and turned it into 10. Because whoever has, and it's talking about whoever has, what, that, what that represents, whoever is doing with integrity right now, whoever is living with integrity, doing their job right now, the things that God has given you to do right now, if you're managing your lives well right now, God has more for you. But it's self-check time. How are you doing in that category? If Jesus returned right now and you were to stand and give an account to him, could you honestly stand before him and say with all sincerity, you know what, I've been doing it with a cheerful heart. I'm so thankful for what you've given me right now. Or have you been moaning and groaning and complaining? Because he who has will be given more and he will be it'll be taken away from those who don't advance with the talents that they've been given. What talents have you been given right now? And where are you at? Self-check. But the cool thing about it is that God gave us the power of choice. And so wherever you fall on the spectrum, you can choose tonight to change, to steward whatever it is that you've been given extremely well from this point on. But many of us are desiring, I know that many of us and many of you, I talk with you guys quite a bit, and, and I know that you all desire more of God. I desire more of God, more of his anointing, 
maybe a new mantle like Elisha was getting. We want that promotion in God. We want to go to new heights with him. And we want to accomplish great things just like the heroes of the Bible did. But how are we doing in this category? And it's okay to do self-check and self-evaluations in that. But I just pray that every single one of you would understand that you live in this lifetime as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ to advance. Don't withdraw. Don't bury the talents that you've had. God is calling you to do something amazing with the talents that he's given you, the abilities and the giftings and the calling that he's placed on your life. Somebody say amen. Now, this is attractive to God, though, when you actually live that way. It becomes attractive to God. When, when my children, when I give them, and Scott, Sean, any other parent in the room, I think that's pretty much it. We're the only two parents in the room, so that's good. Oh, you guys too, yes. But they're not old enough yet, so. How old are they now? Not you. <laughs> Your kid's 23, Jesus you got to it real, real quick in life, I see, okay. But anybody who's got kids knows this to be true. When you give your kids something and they steward it well, they become thankful about what you've given them and they just, thank you, daddy, thank you, mommy, I'm so thankful. You want to get, it's so attractive as a parent. You want to bless them with more. You want to give them more. And this is attractive God. When you live that way, it becomes attractive to God and he wants to give you more. Somebody say more. Turn to your neighbor and say, burn it up tonight. Burn it up tonight. Not you're burning hot. Burn it up tonight. Now, Elisha, Elisha was rewarded for his faithfulness for doing his job well. In the promotion, he was, re- he was rewarded with the promotion and the invitation for more of God came to him in a moment's time when he was least expecting it, when he was plowing with his oxen. It came at the moment when he was least expecting it. And the only right response, the only right response for a real follower of Jesus Christ is when that call comes. And you may be working at Starbucks. I don't know what you do. But you may, be in, you may be on the elliptical machine out at college in the, in the rec center. I don't know if you, whatever you do, flipping burger. I don't know. What do you do? You know what you do. I don't know what you do. But whatever it is that you do, when that call of God comes, you'll know. And here's the only right response for a follower of Jesus Christ. Irrational obedience. Irrational obedience, obey no matter what the call is. We need to be people who say yes to the call no matter what it looks like. And I love verse 20 because Elisha says that it says this. Immediately following uh, uh, Elijah giving him his cloak, Elijah went up to him, threw his cloak around him, he walks away. Verse 20, it doesn't say that he knelt down to pray about it. It doesn't say, oh Lord, give me some more time. He didn't worship, he didn't do anything. Here's what it says, the very next words Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. He ran to his calling. He didn't stop and say, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? Oh, I don't know if I can do that. He wasn't given, by the way, he wasn't even given a seven-step program to how he was, his calling was gonna come to pass. All he knew is that the call of God came. He said, yes, I need to let go of all this stuff. And he, got, he had this cloak. Elijah's walking away, and he turns immediately obeying irrationally to the call of God, and he runs toward Elijah. Are you running towards your calling? 
Are you running towards your calling or are you being held back by something in your past? He did not get a 10-step to-do list to do, you know, 10-step to-do list for your, a greater you. Let me give you a 13-step process to a better you today. No, that's not what happened. All he got was a cloak. He got a mantle. He got the baton, and he says, give that to me. I'll run with it, and he ran to Elijah. He was radical. This leads me to point number two. Experiencing more of God requires some burning. Experiencing more of God is gonna require some burning. Burning. Many times, in order for us to experience more of God, we must be willing to burn whatever is tethering us to our past. It's interesting to me that when Elisha accepted God's invitation to more life, to something greater than he could possibly imagine, he left nothing for himself to go back to. Elijah accepted God's invitation by literally burning everything that tied him to his previous life of just good enough and previous life of mediocrity. And God doesn't wait for you to be ready to accept the invitation to a deeper surrender. He actually wants you to burn everything that's tethering you to the world behind you so that you can fully trust him as you move forward. That's a good word. And some of us here tonight are tethered to some ugly things and you need to burn some things up. Some of you are actually tethered to some things in your past that you've done that were good things and you need to burn those things up too and you need to let it go. Paul said it like this in Philippians chapter three. He says, I forget all the things that are behind me. And when he said that, he actually meant that he's forgetting about all the good things that he did. He did some amazing, incredible things. He's saying, I'm gonna let all those good things go, but I'm gonna forget about the bad things too because my past has nothing to do with my future. Your past has nothing to do with your future, friends. And you need to forget about what's behind. You need to forget about the good things and the bad things. And you need to start running towards what God has in your future. And by the way, isn't it amazing that we serve a God that has gone back into our past and redeemed us. He's gone ahead of us into the future and makes plans for us. But he also walks beside us in the present. We serve an amazing God, friends. And Elisha ran to his calling. Now, when I got... When I got saved back in, it was my late 20s, when I said yes to following Jesus Christ back in May of 2009, one of the first things I had to do, one of the things that I was stuck in a rut with, if you will, was alcohol and cocaine. Many of you have heard the story, many of you have not. I was addicted to alcohol and cocaine. And I remember when I, when I first said yes to following Jesus, I cried out to him and I said, Lord, whatever you want me to do with my life, I will do it. I surrender completely to you. Same decision that almost all of you probably have made in this room at one point in your lives. And I said, whatever that looks like, Lord. And here's one of the things that I had to do that was really extremely difficult for me. I knew in my heart that I had to make some phone calls to some people that I was friends with, and I'm talking about good buddies of mine that I'd been friends with for decades, guys that I grew up with, guys that stood up in my wedding, guys that I was hanging out with and, and doing all the wrong things with, and, and I'd made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, and whatever that meant for me meant that I also had to let go of some things in my life. And so I had to make some really difficult phone calls. And those phone calls were to some of my closest buddies on planet Earth. 
And I remember thinking, God has so much more for me. And God started speaking to me about things that are to come, giving me visions of things that are to come. And I just knew in my heart that I had to do this. So I got on the phone one day after I mustered up the courage to do it. And I called uh, some of my buddies. And here's what I was terrified about. I was terrified that when I called them and told them that I decided that I was gonna follow Jesus and I was gonna do things his way from this point on in my life, that they were gonna ridicule me, they were gonna make fun of me, that they were going to laugh about me, talk about me. And I just came to the decision that, you know what, I don't care. God's more for me is way more important to me than what anybody else on this planet thinks about me. So I made the call, and every time I called them up, uh, my, my good friends, I would call them and I said, hey man, I just need you to know something. I made a decision to follow Jesus Christ and that's what I'm gonna do with my life. I'm going in a completely different direction. I'm chasing after him with everything that I've got and I need you, if you've ever respected me at all as a friend, I just need you to do something for me. I need you to simply not call me on Friday nights when you're going out. Don't text me. Don't ask me to go with you to the bar because I just simply can't go and if you're gonna go on a bachelor party, I can't go with you. I love you, I always will love you, but I am going in a different direction. I'm moving into God's calling for my life. And you know, here's the interesting thing, that as hard as it was for me to make that phone call, the responses that I got were actually quite opposite of what I thought it would turn out as. My buddies actually said, you know what, Kurt? I'm so proud of you. Good for you for taking a stand. I'm proud of you, and I got your back in this. Don't you worry about it, man. You take care of of you and your family. Everything's gonna be cool. Matter of fact, I respect what you're doing. And I was blown away, but you know what? Let me tell you something about that. No matter where you are, and don't you ever be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's why. Everybody on planet Earth that doesn't know Jesus Christ has a longing inside of them to know him. They just don't know it. And when they see you stand up and take a stand for him, just because you need, listen, when you say yes to more of God, they want that too. And then they see you living that lifestyle out over a period of time. And here's what has happened since then. My buddies are now at the place where they're starting families of their own. And now they're calling me and I get to go back and hang out with them. And they're asking me all sorts of questions. And now we've rekindled those friendships. Those friendships never died. I just stopped partying. Do you know what I'm saying? Those friendships will never die. Those are lifelong friendships, lifelong bonds. But I'm telling you, listen, some of you need to let some relationships go in this, in this room. Negative, energy-draining, pessimistic relationships that you just need to let go out of your life so that you can experience more of God in your life. Just last Friday, we were, uh, Fridays are my day off. And so I spend Fridays, it's my wife's day off as well. And we spend the whole day with our kids and it's my one day off. So that's what they call sabbatical, you know, in the Bible. And I take a sabbatical. When I take a sabbatical, I do nothing. (laughs) And I love it. I love it, love it, love it. We try to do nothing as much as possible, okay? Nothing is good sometimes, especially when you get older. Come on, somebody. Come on. Amen. I'm telling you young people, start now, right? Start now. Last Friday, we spent the whole day, and here's my problem, though, with doing nothing is that I get restless. 
I get extremely restless. It's, it's hard for me to sit and do nothing. I get stir crazy when I'm just in the house and I haven't done anything all day. My children get stir crazy. So here's what happened. My little girl, Riley, comes up to us uh, maybe, I don't know what time it was at night, 7, 7.30 at night, and she comes up and she says, store, store. She wanted to go run errands. It was awesome, right? She just wanted to get out of the house. We've been you know, locked up in this coop all day long, and she's like, store, let's go run some errands. And I said, that's actually a good idea. I'm on board with that. So we got the whole family. We packed them into our brand new, well, it's not brand new. It's a 2014 Dodge Grand Caravan, right? We got them packed into this minivan. I got behind the wheel. I said, okay, let's go. And we didn't even have an agenda. We didn't even end up at the store, right? So we're driving around. I got my phone that is, is kind of tucked away in the uh, center console. And, and I end up checking my phone. Uh, we were just, we were literally just driving around Byron Center doing nothing. They're watching a movie in the back. And, and so I checked my phone and I missed like four phone calls from a number that I didn't recognize. And I hadn't plugged in, you know, but it kept calling and kept calling. No voicemail, no text. I'm thinking, I have no idea who this is, honey. I'm just going to let that go to voicemail. You know what I'm saying? I'm with my family. I ain't, you know, I'm not trying to answer your phone call right now. Leave me alone. I'm with my family. You know, I try to protect my family time, you know. And uh, so don't call me on Fridays, okay? That's all I'm saying. I, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. So I check it, and I said, well, whatever. I guess if, if it's that important, they'll leave a voicemail. Well, no voicemail was coming through. This person, whoever it was, kept calling my phone. And then I started looking at the number, and I'm thinking, I think this might be the number of that kid that I did lunch with a couple weeks ago, honey. Can you check my, you know, because I'm driving. Don't text and drive, by the way. This is a good time to say that. Gave it to my wife. I said, honey, will you check my text messages and see if it's that kid that I did lunch with? I did lunch with a kid who's 18, year old, 18 years old. He's an adult now. Um, and I, I, I took him out for some Mexican because his parents met me here at church. And by the way, this young man does not come to access, so don't go trying to figure out who this is. He doesn't come to, to, come to service here. And his parents came to me as a favor, and they said, our son is, is, is spiraling downwards. He's hooked on all this stuff. Would you please, please, please reach out to him, help him? I've never met this kid in my life. And they were desperate. And I said, I'll tell you what. They wanted me to come over and possibly do, like, an intervention. I'm like, I'm not doing an intervention. I've never met your son. That would be stupid. You know, that's really how I talk to parents, too, by the way. And uh, I literally said that I'm not doing that. So you can find someone else. I will not do that. I've never met him. I can only do that with somebody that I'm in a relationship with. And so uh, I told, her, told them that, but I said, here's what I will do. If you will pass along a message to him from me, that if he's willing to do lunch with me, I'll do lunch with him. So I did lunch with him, exchanged numbers with him. And so I asked my wife, I said, check my text messages and see if it's that young man that I did lunch with a couple weeks ago. She checks, sure enough, it's him. Phone went silent for about the next 10 minutes. I kept driving, and now we're driving by the, the Tanger outlets. It's not Tanger, by the way. I thought it was Tanger. It's not because of the commercials. It taught me that it's Tanger outlets. So we're driving by there. We're coming down 84th Street. Now we're passing Eastern, coming up to Kalamazoo. We turn left down there. We're heading towards, you know, the Kalamazoo M6 interchange right there. And all of a sudden, I get the call again right before I get there, and I didn't answer it. And now I'm struggling. 
I'm struggling because I know something's wrong. I've met this person one time and he's blowing up my phone. So I know something's wrong and I don't want to go deal with it. Listen, I'm a pastor. I'm not perfect. You understand that, right? But here's what happens in these moments. I want to be as accurate as possible when I tell testimonies and you should be too. Amen? I didn't want to answer the phone because I didn't want to leave my family. I, I, I didn't want to deal with anything ministry stuff because that's what I do all the time. And so he calls me again. I let it go. And now here's what's going through my head. <laughs> and if you know the Bible, this is how it works. God starts bringing up Bible verses to you. And then it sounds something like this. Well, Jesus left the 99 sheep to go get the one that was lost. Now I'm struggling. And I say to my wife, honey, what do I do? <laughs> Baby, what should I do right now? And she goes, I don't know. Do whatever you want. That's typically what she always says to me. She's so encouraging. And, uh, and so I, I let it go to voicemail again. And then I drive up. And all these scriptures are coming to my mind. And I'm thinking, God, I want to represent you well, you know. And I, okay. If he calls one more time, I guess I'll pick it up. Please don't call. Please don't call. Please don't call. <laughs> Phone rings again. And now I'm at Kalamazoo and 68th Street at a stoplight. And I answer, and this young man says, Pastor Kurt, Pastor Kurt, and he's crying. He's weeping on the other end of the line. I need, I need somebody to come pray with us right now. I need somebody to come pray with us right now. He was extremely frantic. I could barely tell what he was saying. And I said, slow down, slow down. What is, what's, what's going on? He says, I got a buddy. He's addicted to all sorts of stuff, and he's contemplated suicide every day for the last seven days, and he's almost killed himself seven times, and I just need somebody to be here with us so that they can pray with us. And I said, okay, um, where are you at right now? And we were just mindlessly, to what we thought, driving around. These people don't even live in Kentwood. They were at, in front of Penn Station, right there in front of the movie theater, right there. I was literally 20 seconds away from them. I said, okay, I'll be there in 20 seconds. He goes, you're kidding me, you're kidding me. I said, no, I'll be there in 20 seconds. I'm at 68th and Kalamazoo right now. I'll be there in 20 seconds. And he goes, oh my God, this is so God, you know. And I'm like, okay, maybe it is, maybe it's not. I'm not convinced yet, I don't know. But maybe it is, and so that's all I needed. So I ended up at Penn Station about 20 seconds later, and I looked at my wife, and before he got off the phone, he said he was suicidal, and before he got off the phone, I did say this to him. I said, does he have any weapons on him right now? Listen, how many of you know there's wisdom and stupidity? You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> I ain't trying to be stupid with this, you know? So he says, nope, there's no weapons. I'll be there in 20 seconds. I said to my wife, all right, this is going down. They need something. You know, this kid's contemplating suicide. And, and she's just looking at me, and she's like, okay, is, is he stable? You know, she's worried about my, my you know, my physical care and everything because I love her, and she loves me. And, and I said, nope, apparently he doesn't have any weapons, so I think, you know, we're going to go. And she says, you have peace with this? I said, yep, yep I'm going to do this. So I'll tell you what, we're going to go over there. I'm going to get out of the car, and then you get behind the wheel, and you guys can head back over to uh, the house, and then uh, I'll just take my phone, and I'll call you uh, whenever it's done with whatever happens. And I'm going into this thing pretty much blind. I've never met this young man who's struggling, contemplating suicide, trying to kill himself. 
And so I get out of the car and I kiss my wife goodbye, tell my kids goodbye, because I may never see them again. <laughs> you know, but that's the nature of doing ministry. And the nature of sharing the gospel with people is you never know what's going to happen uh, in situations like this, but that's something that God calls us to do. And so I kiss them the goodbye, they leave, they take off. And immediately the two men come out of their truck, young men come out of their truck, and uh, I see the young man that I met with a couple weeks prior to, and he's just sobbing uncontrollably. And his buddy comes around too, and, and I just started out by saying, okay, guys, what's up? You know, what's, what's going on? And I'm Kurt introducing myself to them and to, to this other young man. And, and he says, I just can't, I just can't get free. I just can't get free. I, I, I can't get rid of all these addictions. And I immediately stop him from talking about those addictions. And I say, tell me about the moment that Jesus Christ came into your life and changed everything. I want the whole conversation to be focused on Jesus at this point. You know what I'm talking about? Let's switch the conversation to what's not happening to what is God doing. And so he says, yeah, I got saved and it was a long time ago, but I haven't felt God's presence with me and I haven't felt this and that in so long. I can't even remember how long it's been. And I said, I'll tell you what, boys, let's head over to Starbucks. Let's get a coffee and let's sit down. We head over to Starbucks. We talk along the way, a little small talk. We get inside. I buy them some coffee. We sit down and I start asking them things like this. Why don't you tell me about what you feel like? When you do drugs, when, when you, you do some of those things that you say you don't want to do, tell me what you feel like when you do it. He says, I feel horrible about myself, and I absolutely hate it, and I want so badly to get free. And I said, good. All that is is proof that you have been saved, that the Spirit of God does live on the inside of you because what Ephesians 4, then I start preaching, what, a free, what Ephesians 4 says is that you are sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. What that means is that the Spirit of God that lives inside of you doesn't care for that sin. And what Romans 6 tells us that if you are dead to sin, you're alive to God. But it doesn't mean that you don't have the capacity to sin, but what it means is that you do have the capacity to sin, but when you do sin, the Holy Spirit is grieved by your sin. And so when you grieve somebody, I start taking them through stuff like this. So let me break it down for you real quick. If my wife and I, which we're going up north for our anniversary trip next month, let's say the Friday before we take off, I say, you know what, baby? That, plan, that trip that we've had planned for a year now that we've all, it's, it's all been paid for, honey, what, you know what? I think I'm gonna take my buddy Jay. And we're going to go up there, and we're just going to kick it and have a good time. How well you think that's going to go for me? <laughs> She's going to be grieved, and our relationship is going to be grieved. And how many of you know that I'm going to have to reconcile that relationship with her? So I need to come back to her groveling like, I am so sorry. You know what you would do in a real relationship to make men's. I said, listen, you've grieved the Holy Spirit with your decisions. That's the God's honest truth. But you can choose tonight to turn your back on all that stuff and to burn all this stuff up. If you want to, you can make the decision tonight. And I start talking to him about, you need to give Jesus just as much time as you gave all these drugs. And he says, oh, yeah, I can do that. And he's saying, really, am I really saved? Yes, you're saved. Let me convince you and convict you of your righteousness. And if you're faithful, if you'll be faithful to confess all your junk, all the stuff, all the sin in your life to God, God will be faithful to you. 
He will forgive you and he will cleanse you and purify you from all unrighteousness. Everything that you want can be done in an instant. It's not that hard. Admit it and quit it and move on. You better give Jesus just as much time as you gave your drugs. And then I started talking about the focus factor, right? And this is a good word for everybody in here too. We were sitting there and I said, listen, whatever you focus on will organize the rest of your life. Whatever you focus on the most will organize the rest of your life. I remember when I was addicted to alcohol, when I was addicted to drugs, here's what it was like. And maybe some of you in here will understand this and some of you won't. But this is how it works when you have any kind of an addiction. It becomes your main focus. All my paychecks, I would think of, uh, you know, beforehand about my paychecks. How much was gonna go to drugs? How much was gonna go to alcohol? I had it all allocated out in my mind already because whatever you focus on first becomes Lord of your life. And it will organize the rest of your life. So I said, when you focus on Jesus, don't listen to that. It's not funny. Don't listen, don't listen to that. When you focus on Jesus, he will organize the rest of your life for you. And as soon as I said that, his buddy reached his phone across the table and his phone, he says, look at what time it is. And I'm thinking, what the heck is this? They gotta go at like nine o'clock? I've been preaching for like an hour and this dude is all smiles at this point. He's like, he's just getting energetic. And by the way, when I was preaching in Starbucks, people were starting to take out their little earbuds and they were looking at us. They were looking at me and I didn't care. I was preaching away and people are listening in and then I start seeing some heads nodding like in the back and they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. They were Christians. I could see it and I was looking at them. I wink at them. They're like, I'm getting this one tonight. He's getting saved again tonight, all over again. And he reaches the phone across, and, and he, he shows them the time, and it was 8.50. And I'm like, what the heck are they doing? I'm in the middle of my sermon. Don't mess me up right now. I'm in a groove. It's 8.50, bro. Look at that. And the dude's eyes lit up with all the addictions. And he goes, oh, my gosh. And I said, is there something you guys want to share with me? They said, well, he was just talking to me earlier about how every single night, like clockwork, no matter what, at eight o'clock at night, he gets the urge to do drugs. And no matter what he's doing, he's gonna do drugs that night. And he couldn't believe that eight o'clock had came and gone. I mean, he, his mind was blown. And then he goes, he goes like this, oh my goodness. I don't even wanna do any drugs right now. I think that's, and then he goes, he goes, he goes, I don't want to do any drugs right now. I don't even have the urge. He goes, I think that's the Holy Spirit. I said, you think, brother? <laughs> yes, that's the Holy Spirit. Because when you focus your conversation and everything, your thoughts and your mind on God, God will organize. The he says, you focus on me. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. All those things that you're worried about, all those things that you want to get rid of, I'll take care of it for you. And so I said, all right, let's, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, brother, what do you want to do tonight? Why don't you tell me what you want to get out of this tonight? And I put it back on him, and here's what he said. He said, I need to give my life back to God tonight. I said, yes, you do. Let's walk outside, let's head back to the truck, and we're going to pray together, and we're going to ask God to do something amazing in your life tonight. So we got up, walked out. I got stopped by somebody because I was preaching and they were asking questions. I had my access T-shirt on. 
And then they, they were outside. I met them outside. As we walked to the truck, we got out there, and I said, I'm so proud of you, man. God's going to do something amazing in your life, and he's got plans for you. And I'm just trying to listen to God to get a word for this young man, you know. And so we go, get next to the truck, and all of a sudden, and I hadn't called my wife, but my wife rolls back up in the minivan, you know. She pulls right next to us, and then I'm sitting there praying outside at the truck, and I start praying for this young man. And then I said, I said, young man, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to cry out to God with a sincere heart and be honest and brutally honest with him about whatever it is that you want to say to him tonight. And he started praying, and the tears started flowing, and it was one of the most beautiful, most honest, and vulnerable prayers that I have heard in years. And it was so stinking refreshing for me. It blessed me to listen to him cry out to God with just an honest, <laughs> full of just, I long for you, God, and I can't do that. Just, I don't know, God, but I know that you have the answers and you're all that I want. You're all, and he just kept going and kept going and kept going and he starts crying. His buddy is just shedding tears. We're all crying. We're hugging at this point. He, he just gave his life back to the Lord and then I, I got a word while he was praying for him and I started prophesying it over him into his life and I said, here, man, here's what I felt like the Lord just showed me something about you. The storm that you've been in is passing away and the sun is bursting forth. The clouds have broken. Some stuff has been broken off your life and here's what God wants to do. He wants to give you a platform. You're gonna go through a process and when you get through that process, he's gonna give you a platform in the kingdom of God so that you can reach back to people who are struggling with the same things that you've struggled with and you're gonna get them free. And you're going to point him to Jesus Christ. So I start prophesying all this stuff over his life. He's just smiling and crying. And then all of a sudden, he looks down and, and, and he reaches into his pocket and he pulls out a handful of drugs and he goes, I don't want this anymore. Take it. Boom. Right into my hand. Drops the drugs into my hand. He burns some stuff up. Listen, Elisha went back and he burned up all of his equipment and he had a feast and said, no more. I'm burning all of this stuff up so that I can move towards what God has called me to in the future. That kid that night, he burned some stuff up. It looked like drugs, but it was stuff that was, that was tethering him to his past. He says, I gotta burn this up tonight because if I don't burn this up, I'm not moving forward in God. He says, take this stuff from me. I took it home, flushed it down the toilet. They rejoiced all night long, and I don't know where that young man is right now. I don't know how he's doing. He doesn't have a phone. He has no way of, to communicate, but I've been praying for that young man every single day since. And I'm here to tell you that, what is it? What is it? This is what I believe God is asking all of us tonight. What do you need to burn up? It's a simple question. What do you need to burn up in your life? And don't get all proud on me and say, I got nothing to burn. Yes, you do. I got stuff I need to burn. I got stuff that needs to burn in my life so that I can continue on in this walk with Jesus Christ so that I can experience more of him. Amen? What do you need to burn up? Some of you need to burn up that booty call. Some of you need to get on your phone, and I'm sorry. Yeah, I said it from stage. I don't care. You need to get on your phone and hit delete. Get that number out of your phone right now. Some of you need to burn up all the excuses that you've been using for why you can't do what you need to be doing. 
in this life. Some of you need to burn up that pornography that's been filling your mind and your heart tonight. Burn up the pornographic DVDs, the, the magazines that you got. Burn them up. Literally burn them up. And don't get all weird and go burning up like, you know, Disney movies and stuff. That, like, like th- that's weird, man. I heard about Christians doing that. Like, they went and burned up the, the Lion King because it said sex in the, in the cloud. Y'all remember that? And people are like, oh, that's the devil. No, listen, burn up some stuff in your life, though. And here's some real talk, though. You need to burn up some of the generational iniquities that you inherited from your parents and your parents' parents. Some of you need to burn up some of that cancer that's been existing in your family lineage. Burn it up. Burn it up. By the way, generational iniquities and curses, by the way, the one that stands up in faith puts their faith in Jesus Christ. A thousand generations of blessings are released to whoever does that. Is that you tonight? Maybe it's congenital heart, heart disease. I don't know what it is. Burn it up. Burn it up. We hope you enjoyed the message from Kurt Ains this week. If you liked what you heard, be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at AccessRLC. And be sure to swing out Thursday nights at 7 p.m. in the ground floor at Resurrection Life Church.